It's go time. Hi, everybody. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham, and welcome to the podcast. Elks and Rough Riders both get pounded on the weekend. Each give up more than 50. Combined, it's 110 that's put on them. And for each, it's an impactful game. Playoffs do matter. Let's go to Winnipeg, where the Blue Bombers, who had beaten the Rough Riders in Regina by two the week before, thumped them by 34. That was a near-perfect game for Zach Kolaris and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers offense. For those of you that were paying attention, they punted exactly one time with less than three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. A 51-yard average punting for Mark Leggio, which is a pretty good number on his one punt. The Rough Riders were in tough. They had a virus going through their team hours before the game. There was players getting IVs in the dressing room just so that they could get on the field. And they didn't bring much of a challenge to that Winnipeg Blue Bombers team in the Banjo Bowl. At least 15 players came down with a norovirus. And colloquially, it's often referred to as the stomach flu. The norovirus, highly contagious, ran through the Rough Riders lineup. The entire starting offensive line were on IVs prior to the game just so they could get onto the field. The Rough Riders were in such dire straits that the president of the club actually was grabbing players from Regina and trying to drive them to Winnipeg to complete a roster. It was almost as though the Rough Riders were, and I don't think they were that close, but almost as though they were on the cliff of that ill-fated word, forfeit. They certainly put in an, an effort on the field, which they, I believe the team can be proud of considering what they were going through. Unfortunately, the score doesn't indicate or favor them very well. It does look like and was a pretty one-sided victory, but considering what the team was going through to be able to tough it out for that game, there weren't a lot of them that went down with injury and didn't come back. So uh, a game effort to get on the field and complete the game. We saw a couple of exciting plays. There was uh, an Alfred touchdown, uh, kickoff return for a touchdown to start the second half. So they did have some some positives there, but as I mentioned, a pretty tough day in general and not much of a close match when it all came to an end. When you have that many players who are ill, even Cody Fajardo admitted after the game that he was under the weather, it makes it very difficult for you to have a compete level. And Jude St. John, for instance, couldn't play the second half because he got so sick. That meant that there were really no substitutions on that offensive line. The uh, Rough Riders locker room was just a mess because of players in such disarray in terms of vomiting. It was just a real, real difficult situation. The riders need to pat themselves on the back for at least showing up and giving what they had. But after halftime and Mario Alfred's return for the touchdown of the second half kickoff, the team really looked like they had nothing left. And Winnipeg took every advantage of it, which is their right. For the Rough Riders, though, they did the prudent thing after the game. They basically went home and dispersed the players to their own abodes and said, stay there for at least 48 hours. We'll reconvene 
that will give the virus the chance to run its course through the football team. That's the one thing about a norovirus. Once you've had it, you're typically pretty immune to it for a little while right after. And that will give them the chance to recoup some energy. Fluid is such a massive hit when it comes to this type of virus. A lot of players, as we mentioned, intravenous, there's going to be more of that probably in the coming days for a couple of players, but hopefully it runs its course. It's so rare to see a team, pardon the phrasing, gutted by a virus like this in the middle of a season. We do see it with hockey every once in a while, but not so much with football. Now let's move to the Edmonton-Calgary game. What's what's the Elks excuse this week? Edmonton, it's really confusing to understand why in Calgary, when they lost both their games there, they lost by 30-23 to 23 and 26-18. to 18. So 15 points they were short in those two games. You go back to Edmonton and the Stampeders beat them 49-6 to 6 and 56-28. to 28. Quick math says 71 point difference. I don't understand how you can play better on the road and not play so well at home. It It is something that we've kind of hammered on this podcast more than once. What is it about home cooking? Why can't teams win at home? Ottawa again loses at home. So the the Elks and the Red Blacks have yet to win at home this season. Of course, Elks have now fallen to the dubious distinction of tying the Ottawa Rough Riders from 87-88 with 14 straight home losses. For the Elks, it's frustrating. Chris Jones has really made this entire season a training camp. Even this week, he's let go three players. He's brought in five more. The Elks are just this turnstile of, of people. Three people were left from Labor Day of 2021 that were still in the lineup in Edmonton. That's a staggering amount of humanity that's no longer there. One stat I read that I think stings the most for the Edmonton Elks and their fans is that the Calgary Stampeders in their two games in Edmonton have scored more points at Commonwealth Stadium than the Elks have at home in their six games this season. So that's a pretty tough number to swallow for the Elks fans. And I just don't know if it's going to get much better this season for the Elks. They have a a tough road ahead of them. No easy outs coming down the stretch here. And it's looking like they need to get things in order quickly in order to snap that 14-game home losing streak. The Elks play the Rough Riders on Friday night. If the Elks lose, their playoff run is over for 2022. Now, something else that came up, how would you describe it? But the tragedy that happened at James Smith Cree Nation, where at least 10 people were killed, almost 20 more wounded by knife-wielding attacker, and or out of respect for that the Rough Riders and the Blue Bombers both wore a white circle with the red letters JSCN emblazoned inside of it, red being very important to the Korean nation. TSN on their webpage made reference to it. We heard other news sources make reference to it. But during the telecast, neither in pregame with the panel nor during the game did the announcers make any call to attention to it, though the camera work showed it repeatedly. In my opinion, this is a miss by TSN and the broadcast crew. There was a a very poignant joint statement, as you mentioned, from the Rough Riders and the Blue Bombers, 
um, honoring the victims, standing together in solidarity with the James Smith Cree Nation. There was a moment of silence held in the stadium prior to kickoff. Unfortunately, that was not covered by the TSN crew. They didn't cut to that or any real recognition. It's important for the, the healing of that community and all those affected. It, it was a, an easy moment that could have been cut to and, and talked about, certainly. And it was a, a miss by TSN to not have that as part of their broadcast. Even as we find discussing it, it is awkward. What do you say? What's appropriate? The decal that the two teams were wearing. The, the two teams, I thought, did very well by recognizing the tragic events and playing their small part in the process of beginning the healing. Especially when you consider how much the CFL as a league and a lot of these Western Canadian teams especially are really trying to partner with First Nations communities in their provinces. There are often land acknowledgements prior to kickoffs. The teams have special logos that are, are part of this process as well. Winnipeg famously has their star blanket logo. Uh, you can speak to the BC Lions. They've got a special logo and color scheme coming up here as well. So to see that activity and, and that outreach from the clubs themselves and to have the broadcaster not mention it, as I said, is, is clearly a miss on TSN's part. It's all part of a broader picture. And when there's tragedy of that scale, we all need to address it in our own way. And this was TSN's opportunity to have something to say about it. By missed opportunity, they failed to do so. You mentioned quickly the British Columbia Lions and on September 30th, National Reconciliation Day in Canada, the Lions are facing the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Lions are going to wear the orange shirt logo that was brought forward last year. This time they're actually putting it on their helmets as their decal on the side of their helmets. Ottawa, the Red Blacks, are going to, out of their solidarity with the Lions on this project, are going to use orange taping or orange spatting. A very classy move by both of those franchises, for sure. It's been Amar Doman's way of bringing healing as much as he can through the British Columbia Lions. There was a lot of talk from the people that really are behind this orange shirt movement that they really appreciate the depth at which the British Columbia Lions have reached out to them and tried to make this issue more aware. Of course, it's to do with residential schools and that is part of the national reconciliation that's going on. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But the Lions especially are really moving forward now. The Blue Bombers, as you mentioned, have the star blanket W that they brought out last year and I imagine will be wearing again closer to September 30th. Second down. Four games again in the Canadian Football League on the weekend. We start in Montreal where the Alouettes come alive once again and hand it to the British Columbia Lions 31-10. Antonio Pipkin made his first start of the season for the Lions. It might have been his last. 13 of 24, 174 yards and an interception. 
Vernon Adams was out for a blink of an eye, one of three for 17 yards. Meanwhile, across the way, Trevor Harris, 16 of 23, 163, a touchdown and interception. The the Alouettes dominated this game from the word go that looked like in the third quarter especially that Pipkin had found his way and he led the team to an early touchdown in the fourth quarter and looked like the Lions had finally come together as an offense. And within minutes, there was an interception going the other way for a score and the game was over. This game was a real eye-opener of just how much the BC Lions miss Nathan Rourke. Antonio Pipkin gave it his best effort. Unfortunately, he couldn't take advantage of those receivers' weapons that he has in his arsenal. And Vernon Adams Jr. did not have enough time with the franchise to fully learn and understand the playbook. I am with you. I would expect with another week of preparation, maybe a little bit of a toned-down playbook, Vernon Adams will be the starting quarterback for the BC Lions for the foreseeable future. And from what we have seen when he is on in Montreal, he has the capability to lead that offense and put up some big numbers. So the more comfortable he gets, the better chance the Lions have of salvaging their season. And we, a week ago, we're almost writing off the Montreal Alouettes in some ways after a, a lackluster performance. Here they put up 31 points. The defense played a lot better and it was a much stronger game. And they are looking more like a team that wants to get into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Montreal, I would agree, has been sort of a has been sort of a Jekyll and Hyde team. They seem to play up to the stronger teams and play down to the weaker ones. The Alouettes, of course, have beaten the top two teams in the West, Winnipeg and British Columbia. Meanwhile, they have split the season series so far with Ottawa. They tend to go usually with how Trevor Harris goes, but on this day it was the defense that held court and really pushed them to victory. And they do have a win over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as well. So they have had a pretty decent record all in all against the West. As you said, they they beat Winnipeg in Winnipeg, ending a long home winning streak by the Bombers. They come out the next week and lose a frustrating game against the Ottawa Red Blacks, come back out with this effort and, and beat a BC Lions team that is right in the hunt in the West here as well. So you don't really know what you're going to get week in, week out from the Montreal Alouettes. The most impressive part for me as well was that defense. They have had some fantastic games earlier in the season, yet they almost didn't show up against the Ottawa Red Blacks. And here they kind of regrouped and, and had a great effort and really helped control this game for the Alouettes. Moving forward. A triple header on Saturday starts off in Ottawa, where the Red Blacks take on the Toronto Argonauts. Good crowd, 21,600 plus in Ottawa, despite the fact the team has had a really abysmal record so far. But they were on a two-game winning streak coming into this. But the home field bugaboo struck again. The Red Blacks, who had not won at home all season, continued that malaise. And despite having two chances in the fourth quarter to score and perhaps win the game against the Argonauts, they come up empty. And we can get into choices when we get to that. But they do lose 24-19 to the Argonauts. Huge win for the Argos. That's their third in a row. Gets some separation for them in the Eastern Conference. McLeod Bethel-Thompson 
27 of 39, 365 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Nick Arbuckle, 26 of 40, 290 in yardage, but just an interception, no touchdown passes. What this really boiled down to, in my opinion, is the Red Blacks' inability to convert on offense. They had opportunities to get some points on the board and came up with field goal attempts as opposed to touchdowns. If they converted one or two of those, suddenly it's a different game. Lewis Ward had a pretty solid night kicking. He did miss one field goal. He was four out of five, including a 48-yarder. Again, it was just that inability. It was almost a similar thing that we have sometimes criticized Trevor Harris for in Montreal, driving the ball down the field consistently, but when it gets into that 25-yard line into the red zone, he doesn't convert those to touchdowns. And Nick Arbuckle had a little bit of that same problem in this game against Toronto. What quarterback Nick Arbuckle did not look settled at the beginning of the game, whether he was excited because he was finally playing in front of the home crowd or he just didn't look right until later in the second half. That's when he seemed to gel and the offense seemed to gel. That is until there's a critical mass that we have to address. That comes with the final two drives for the Red Blacks in the fourth quarter. Ottawa twice is deep in Toronto territory. The first time with over two minutes to go, the second time with about a minute and a quarter to go. In the first instance, had they decided to go for a field goal, they would have been down by two. With the same sort of scenario still facing them, they had to stuff the Argonauts. The only difference would be is that they would have to have had more field to gain to get to score, but they would have only needed a field goal at the very end. They chose to gamble. They were stuffed, basically leaving them with the same sort of circumstance the second time around. And why they're doing checkdowns when you're needing 10 yards, I will never understand. But Ottawa was unable to get the ball down the field and convert. These late game decisions seem to really follow Paul Apolise around from time to time. He makes some questionable calls, some strategy moves that don't play out. At the same time, he put his faith in his offense when they went for it. He, he thought, this is our opportunity. We're going to score a touchdown and we are going to win this game. Some of the play calling absolutely is suspect and, and not the best strategy to try to score a, a touchdown, but had it been successful and they scored the, the game-winning touchdown, Paul Apolise looks like a genius. Instead, he went the route of not taking the almost guaranteed three points and really changing the dynamic of what they needed to do on that last drive. You could argue that it was play calling, but you could also argue that it was Arbuckle himself in his decision-making. When you're Trying to get down the field, a check to your running back coming out of the backfield is not going to usually net you much unless you've designed the play for him to do that. And typically, that's just a relief valve so you don't get sacked. Nothing was gained anytime he tried that. Was that La Police with instruction? I doubt it. I think he was probably required to look downfield, but the pressure was coming. And you can always sort of have a divining line between the good quarterbacks and the great quarterbacks. Good ones will maybe check the ball down, but the great ones will look past the rush and find the receiver. 
some real missed opportunities with some of the star receivers for the Ottawa Red Blacks as well. Jalen Acklin, five catches for 62 yards, but a, a player of that caliber you have to be looking to more often. One player of the Red Blacks that has really stepped up of late was Nate Bahar. Again, six catches for 76 yards to lead the Red Blacks in receiving. He has really developed as a solid receiver and a Canadian at that, so a very valuable receiver. But I think there was some some plays that could have gone Jalen Acklin's way that maybe Arbuckle missed some of the reads there as well. Curly Gittins Jr., your pick for Outstanding Canadian. Eight receptions, 161 yards, and a touchdown, the long 45-yarder. He had himself a game to remember and is making a case for being outstanding Canadian. He certainly did. He, As I've mentioned in the past, he has those really good hands. He's a, a great receiver, not only um, on a deep ball, but in those second and longs when you need somebody on the sidelines. That's the guy that, that McLeod Bethel-Thompson seems to be comfortable looking for. And more often than not, Curly Gittins Jr. is coming down with the catch and those key first downs. The second game of the three on Saturday was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Winnipeg to take on the Bombers. 54-20, to 20, of course, the Blue Bombers winning. 33,234 at the game. Combine that with the uh, Rough Riders' home date the week before and over 65,000 people watched the uh, bookend Labor Day and Banjo Bowl in attendance. That's pretty special. Winnipeg took charge of the game on the opening drive, went down the field and scored. They would limit the Rough Riders to one possession in the first quarter where they had two plays, and then Winnipeg came down and scored again. And before the Riders knew it, they were down two touchdowns. Now, we have chronicled in the opening segment, a norovirus was racing through the Rough Riders from the coaching staff right through to the players, and... To be fair to Saskatchewan, even though they were outscored 27-10 to 10 in the second half, one would say that had they had the energy, the outcome might have been a lot different. Certainly a tough situation for the Riders. In the Bombers' defense, you play the opponent that is placed in front of you, which they did, and that Winnipeg offense sometimes seems to sputter in, in certain games. We saw them beat the Edmonton Elks with Zach Claris completing five or six passes. A, a really quiet night. So to see them firing on all cylinders in this one was was great and bodes well for Winnipeg going into the playoffs. And just almost a perfect game for that offense, as I said. They, they had four possessions in the first half, all resulting in touchdowns. They started off the second half with a field goal and a touchdown and a field goal, and a touchdown, finally punting with three minutes left, and then scoring one more touchdown. So of, of all the possessions, they came out with, with points on every drive except one, which is an exceptional game. They moved the chains well and did everything that was asked of them. For the second straight week, the Rough Riders only score one offensive touchdown. It's Mario Alford in his 92-yard kick return of the second-half kickoff. That was the other major for Saskatchewan. Again, the Rough Riders are shut out in the fourth quarter. It's a theme that has been played out so many times with this Rough Riders team. The Blue Bombers, Zach Kolaris was 21 of 25, 273 and four touchdowns. Cody Fajardo, who there was some speculation if the offensive line couldn't 
keep up their stamina that Fajardo might even be sat for this game just to protect them. 15 of 18, he went almost the whole way, 124 yards though. And Jake Dolagala comes in in the fourth quarter, three of seven for 23 yards. Drew Brown for Winnipeg throws his first ever touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. Winnipeg, again, as you said, took advantage of a situation. You play who you have to play and you do what you need to do in those circumstances. The Bombers, 415 yards of offense, 35-25 of possession. And that Winnipeg defensive line, especially those bookends of Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson, had a great game as well. They put pressure on Cody Fajardo all day. Four sacks, a couple of knockdowns, some hurries, kind of just doing what they do best. And I think one thing to shift gears a little bit on this game we have to mention TSN mentioned it enough during the broadcast as well. This was the final CFL game for Sarah Orleski as a sideline reporter after 14 years. And in a really classy move, Zach Kolaris and the Bombers presented her with the game ball. So I thought that was a, a nice tribute to a fantastic sideline reporter and somebody who has really embraced these prairie games. She's on the sidelines no matter what the weather is and is very professional. So uh, a great send off for her in her final CFL game. She is one of the reasons why the CFL is such a great league because her professionalism and her willingness to put up with any kind of weather to still get the job done was a testament to how amazing she is as a person. It's a shame that she's gone, and it's a shame for the CFL as well as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but folks in Winnipeg, of course, will see her with the hockey team. Moving into the nightcap of the three on Saturday, the Calgary Stampeders in Edmonton to take on the Elks. A big crowd, almost 27,000 at Commonwealth Stadium to watch this one. Calgary winning 56-28, to starting early and often. An interception score by the Stampeders got them started. They put up 21 in the first quarter and added 20 more in the fourth just to make sure of it. A solid night for the Stampeders and almost a second defensive touchdown as well. They had a a punt block that they recovered on the one-yard line. Didn't quite make it into the end zone, but a a really solid night for them. And as you mentioned, 21 points in the first quarter, 20 points in the fourth quarter. Really did not give the Elks an opportunity to get into this one at all. Trumaine Washington, who used to be an Elk, was the bane of the Elks in that first quarter. Stampeders... Jake Mayer, 20 of 26, 287 yards, one touchdown. Taylor Cornelius for the Elks, 23 of 32, 292, two touchdowns and that interception. Cornelius, I think, has solidified his role as the starter. We've just got word that Trey Ford now is coming back to the lineup and he'll be the backup to Cornelius. Calgary rolled up 467 yards of offense. Edmonton had 401 It's not a bad day at the office. Taking the role that Sean McGuire had with the Blue Bombers last year, Tommy Stevens, the third-string quarterback, the short-yardage quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders, ended up with four rushing touchdowns in this one. So uh, a big week for him. 29 yards rushing in total, but found the end zone four times. Another one of those fantasy point pirates that exist in the CFL. How do you draft a quarterback when that guy does that? I did not have him this week, for the record. I'm sure you and a lot of other people didn't. For Calgary, the win puts them in a tie 
with the BC Lions in terms of wins. Now, the Lions have a game in hand for the Stampeders with the Alouettes winning on Friday over BC. This was the game for Calgary to catch them, and they have. And now the battle for second place is on in the Western Conference. It certainly is, and and there's some intriguing games coming up in this last stretch of the season here as well. We know Calgary gets the Saskatchewan Rough Riders a couple times. Those are certainly not a, a gimme game for Calgary by any means. One possible advantage for BC in this schedule is they do play the Winnipeg Blue Bombers twice at the end of the season. So clinching first overall, there might be some guys resting and that might be an opportunity for the BC Lions to take advantage of that late in the season if they're still battling with the Stampeders for that playoff position. Third down. Three games in the league this week. I just, as an aside, I wish they would have all of these three-game weekends that they ever schedule in the season post-Labor Day so that we don't get so many triple-header Saturdays, for instance. Let's get going. Edmonton and Saskatchewan to start it on Friday night. The Rough Riders are eight-and-a-half-point favorites in this football game. The odds makers believing that they'll be over the norovirus and ready to go. Are they taking into account enough that the Elks play very well on the road? In fact, they're three and four on the road. I don't think they are. If you look at the previous week's results, both of these teams coming off 30-point losses or 28 points, I guess, in the case of the Edmonton Elks. But but big point differentials given up in the previous week. Edmonton does seem to play better on the on the road than they do at home. The, the stats don't lie in that one. Saskatchewan has not had a stellar home record this year either. Three and four, a losing, losing record at home. I agree that the Rough Riders should be the favorites in this one, but I do, do not think that they are going to approach covering an eight and a half point spread. If... The oddsmakers had come out and said that this one was two and a half for the Rough Riders. Then I think that would have been fair because that's that old field goal axiom that we talk about where home team automatically gets three points and then the road team just has to be that much better if they want to be the favorite. I don't understand how they come up with this number, partly because I just don't trust A, the Rough Riders at home and B, the Elks on the road. Each goes opposite to what you would think. My feeling is, is that the Rough Riders may lose this game and that if they do as one friend put it maybe the Elks will find their new special teams coordinator after the game is over I'm picking Edmonton to upset yeah I I'm going with the Rough Riders to win this one as I said but not cover the eight and a half point spread I believe this one is going to come down to about a field goal and I would take Brett Lothar at home to be the difference maker in this one Rough Riders win but do not cover the spread moving to Saturday the afternoon game early afternoon Winnipeg is in Hamilton to take on the Tiger Cats. Tiger Cats coming off the bye. Winnipeg is installed as eight and a half point favorites. Hamilton hasn't played well anywhere. It used to be that going to Tim Hortons Field would be almost an insurmountable task to beat the Tiger Cats. Now they're going to need something special to win this football game. This is Winnipeg's eighth game on the road for the season. Simple math means they've only got one more left. It's a Grey Cup rematch at the home of the last Grey Cup. We know how that one turned out. And I believe this one will be more of a runaway for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I don't see this one going to overtime and needing a defensive stand to win it. Winnipeg's offense came alive in the last game. The defense is fired up and Hamilton 
has a lot of question marks in that quarterback position right now. I don't see them putting up enough points to keep pace with Winnipeg. I think the Bombers take this one and they cover that spread. For the Tiger Cats, who have been 500 at home, I'm not sure who's going to be their starting quarterback, if it's going to be Dane Evans or not. If it is Jamie Newman, then I think their odds become longer. If Jamie Newman can settle down the way he did in the fourth quarter against the Argonauts, then he might provide something for Hamilton. The problem I have with Hamilton, it's not their head coach. It's their offensive coordinator, Tommy Condell. There's a very famous saying that if you if you play two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback. Hamilton's in that strata right now where they keep dipping into this well of two quarterbacks trying to get this offense ignited where they just can't rest on any one quarterback to do the job for them. If Jamie Newman is your guy, then run with him and see what happens. If they start Evans, put in Newman, come back to Evans as they did with Schiltz and with Evans, you're just asking for another recipe of disaster to happen. If they run with Jamie Newman, does this end Dane Evans' tenure in Hamilton as a starting quarterback? Or does he have an opportunity to bounce back next season and reclaim that position? That's a great question. I don't know where Dane Evans is at with all of this. Certainly between the ears, his confidence is shaken. Evans could be even the quarterback of note the rest of the way for the Tiger Cats. It's just, can he get past his own frailty? It's not that he lacks confidence. It's just that he seems to really not trust himself when it comes down to crunch time. And a Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense is probably not the one that you want to play against to try to regain your confidence. The Bombers defense has shown, though, that if you attack them, and I mean attack them deep, you can beat this team. The Tiger Cats, if they go deep and they have the weapons in their receiver core to do so, Winnipeg could be in for a game. It's just a question of does Condale loose the quarterback to do this? They certainly could be. However, Brandon Alexander has been a full participant in practice for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this week as well. So getting an all-star safety back healthy this late in the season can change things up in that bomber secondary pretty quickly. With all that being said, I'm guessing you're taking the bombers and the spread. I am taking the bombers and the spread. Absolutely. I can't argue that Hamilton getting it together and doing something, but it doesn't seem that they're anywhere close. And Maybe Tommy Condell being at this point in his tenure with the Tiger Cats is looking over his shoulder a little bit because they did bring a head coach over from the Montreal Alouettes in Kahari Jones, who is quite an adept offensive coordinator. Now he's just a consultant in Hamilton, but maybe it's time to change gears. And if you want an offensive coordinator that is going to take some shots deep, Kahari Jones is just that type of guy. The later game on Saturday afternoon sees the British Columbia Lions in Calgary to take on the Stampeders. This is the battle for second place. Now, BC has one win in this series already. This is game two of the three. The Stampeders need to win this game to stay in the conversation for second place. If they win, they will go one up on BC with BC having a game in hand. This to me is a tale of two teams trending in opposite directions right now. The Calgary Stampeders, after their losses to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, have turned the corner and started trending the right direction, moving towards the playoffs. And unfortunately for the BC Lions, that loss of Nathan Rourke has them in a little bit of shambles. We'll see if Vernon Adams 
has had the opportunity to get comfortable with this offense and he could be the difference maker. However, I have to take Calgary at home covering the spread. That defense has been playing pretty well. So it's going to take some real magic from Vernon Adams to turn this team around this quickly. For me, it's the Stampeders. Calgary at home is just barely above 500. The Lions were undefeated on the road until the last two visits that they made. Vernon Adams Jr., by some descriptions, is a stopgap until Nathan Rourke can get back onto the field. Whether that's this year or not is so unknown. Maybe there's a miracle in the offing for the BC Lions. The bigger question mark in my mind is, where is that BC defense that's been so vaunted? They have been picked apart a couple of times now. Are they going to show up? And if they do, then Jake Mayer is going to have some trouble and the Lions could be in this game. Vernon Adams Jr., yeah, he's a wild card. No, There's no way that the Lions win if Vernon Adams Jr. has a bad day. We're getting down to crunch time here. Every game is really important in the standings. We see Winnipeg has clinched a playoff spot and they're now looking at a magic number to start wrapping up first overall. And these games between Saskatchewan and Edmonton and BC Calgary are vitally important to see which teams stay in the playoff hunt in the West. A win by the Rough Riders can really start trending them towards a crossover playoff berth here as well. It looks likely that a Western team is going to cross over based on the records we're seeing right now. And that certainly is going to be in the Rough Riders' minds as they play this one. Edmonton pulls off the upset and that turns things upside down a little bit again. Let's just play this out. If Saskatchewan wins and BC loses, Saskatchewan will be a win behind the Lions in the standings. If the quarterbacking woes for the Lions don't rectify themselves. The Rough Riders could be in the running for a third place in the West. BC could theoretically drop all the way to fourth. Turning back to Saskatchewan versus Edmonton. If Saskatchewan defeats Edmonton, it would eliminate the Elks from playoff contention. Why, you ask? Edmonton, even with a loss, could win four more games and finish ahead of the third and the fourth place team in the East. The problem is is they'll lose the tiebreaker to Saskatchewan and they can't finish ahead of Saskatchewan if they lose on Friday night. The best they could do is finish tied with Saskatchewan, but based on season series, they would finish fifth. The minimum requirement to be in the crossover, you have to be fourth in your own division. And if Calgary pulls off the win over the BC Lions, they're not completely out of the race in catching the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but they need a lot to go right because... Winnipeg, as we know, has swept that season series. Calgary would virtually have to win out with Winnipeg stumbling a little bit in order to leapfrog them. So it's looking more like the Stampeders are playing for second and a win over the BC Lions will certainly help them solidify that position. If the Stampeders want to finish first in the West, they have to hope that Winnipeg wins one of their remaining games and no more. And with only one more road game, that home field advantage for the Bombers is is looking pretty promising. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast.
audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.